Horde of Notions is brought to you every week by FaceToFaceGames.com, Canada's number one source for Magic the Gathering cards, singles, and products. Check us out at FaceToFaceGames.com where you can pre-order Gate Crash singles, boxes, fat packs, and more. Yeah, through the breach you can play it. There's also uh, what's that stupid enchantment called? The five and a blue one. Yeah, hive hive. Yeah. Did he say hive mind? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure he said have mind. <laughs> Hello, good evening and welcome to episode 67 of Horde of Notions. I'm your host, Chris. With me tonight, just two of our regular hosts. First of all, it's Will. I, Chris seems like a giddy little girl. You guys are going to find out why in about five seconds. Well, maybe 15. Because first of all, we have to introduce Travis. Yeah, I mean, he's a really giddy. The reason for my giddiness <laughs> is that... Gir- girlish giddiness, come on. About 15 months and 67 episodes ago, we started a little podcast called Hold of And at the time... We wanted to get someone on to talk about, you know, Limited, because we figured brewing in Limited was a thing, and now we're an F&M podcast, and drafting at F&M is a thing. And after numerous promises and bad timing, we finally have a professional content provider, drafting <laughs> magnif- magnate, king of all that is Limited, the one, the only, Marshall Sutcliffe. Wow, you weren't kidding about that intro. <laughs> no, the king I, of I, all that is limited. I wish I wish I could wear that crown. <laughs> Great to have you on the show. Sir. Well, thanks for having me on. Yeah, I, apologies about it taking so long, but you know, now that I don't have my full time corporate job, I have a lot more time. I found. <laughs> Funny how that works, yeah. right? I mean, you're pretty much living the dream that every gamer wants to live, right? I think so. I mean, uh, I'm not really sure. I didn't set out to do that, but uh, that's kind of where I ended up. Um, I just make a lot of content and uh, and play a lot of poker now and uh, scraping together an income from that, and so far, so good. Playing poker, playing magic, commentating on magic, writing about magic, podcasting about magic. Um, can I just be you, actually? <laughs> You're on your way. Like You've already got the podcast, so that's step one, at least it was for me. I'm pretty sure you are already, Marshall, just, you know, not paid as well and not as well respected (laughs) underpaid marshall (laughs) oh jeez i've heard of daggers but those are like cutlasses come on (laughs) come on so the first thing we want to talk about this week is the banned and restricted list announcement uh some stuff in pauper happened but that doesn't happen at fnm so we're not really going to talk about that Mm However, Travis and Will are big modern fans i know marshall you play quite a bit of it i do i play a lot I, i actually love modern well, we, we're all pretty big fans of it. Uh, I tend to make people hate modern because I play eggs a lot. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so we've lost Blood Braid Elf and we've lost Seething Song. Now, before the ban and restricted announcement, we had talked about what they could do to nerf Jund and Storm. And I think, Will, you said Seething Song, didn't you? Yeah, well, Seething Song is the main, like, enabler in that deck, right? Like, if you have... You can go off without Seething Song, but Seething Song just makes it that much easier. Did you see that coming, Marshall? Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, the, 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 one of the things that's confusing about the banner-restricted announcement this time is that they 
announced that they banned seething song, which a lot of people are kind of like, why did they bother with that? It didn't seem like it was an issue, but it actually was uh, because one of the sort of prime directives of modern when they came out with it was that, you know, the DCI said, look, we, we don't want decks that can win on turn three. Like we don't want this to be a format where turn three, we have people just winning the game. And, and the fact is, is that while storm wasn't a dominant deck, it was certainly a successful deck. You know, my podcast buddy, John Laux, he won a, a uh, online PTQ with it last season or two seasons ago, but that wasn't, uh, it, it wasn't quite as popular this latest round, but still it's a deck that you see at the top tables and it definitely performs and it absolutely can go off on turn three. That deck was fully capable if untouched of uh, going off on turn three. And I think that they just wanted to say, look, we want to stick to our guns with that. And uh, taking out saving song should cripple it enough so that it can't do that. Seething Song and Storm were really one of the boogeymans of the format. You always yeah. had to be mindful of that turn three when Storm was capable of. You had to, uh, no matter what you did when you built, you had to have some way to fight that. Yeah, and plus it's just like, really, honestly, who likes Seething Song? Like, what kind, who likes that kind of card where it just does nothing but enable broken stupidness? Like, there's no other deck that uses it in any fair manner. It's not like you're like, you know, seething song to get my four drop out of turn sooner or something. Like nobody does that because well, that would be bad. But also, like taking cards <laughs> gone, like gone God, are the days of <laughs> gone are the days of arc slogger. <laughs> yeah, and so for me, I'm just I'm like just happy to see cards like that go. Like we've got plenty of of combo decks in the format, and one down is is fine by me. And it's not like the storm is gone. I mean, it can still play with Pyromancer's Ascension and Goblin Electromancer. It's just going to be a little bit slower. Yeah, I mean, a friend of mine, uh, well, one of the Twinges, long-time listeners of the show have heard me talk about them many times, uh, bought into Modern with Storm and has been playing it non-stop and is getting really good with it. And the band actually goes into place on his birthday, which has kind of <laughs> devastated the kid. <laughs> but uh, he he's pretty upset about it. And I think you know, Storm was a good deck. I think Storm was kind of like Valakut was when Corblade was around in that it was always the second best deck in the format, no matter what was the best deck, and all it took was all it would take was for Val- for Corblade to get banned, and then Valakut would just be the best deck. Yeah, I don't know. I think it'll be, like, just sort of... One thing about Modern that they have managed to do very well is it's pretty flat. You know, Jund has been considered the best deck in the format recently, and I'm sure we're going to be talking about that in a few minutes, but it it wasn't... It's hard to say. Like, it wasn't a dominant deck in the sense that when you played against it, it's not like you were just hopeless. It's not like it was doing, uh, you know, innately broken things that you just couldn't interact with. It wasn't like that. It was just the most powerful and the best configuration against the field, generally, and therefore it's a lot of tournament success. But, you know, I think Storm falls into that, you know, second category, but there's a lot of decks in that category. Oh, for sure. And I mean, uh, the only other deck that played Seething Song would have been Dragonstorm if that was ever a thing. And I mean, like, that's a fair deck. Yeah, there there's a few builds of... Um, through the Breach. Yeah, Through the Breach can play it. There's also, uh, what's that stupid enchantment called? The Five the and a Blue mind. one? Yeah, Hive, hive, hive mind. mind. Yeah. Did he say Hive Mind? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure he said Hive Mind, but... Uh, hive, uh, hive Mind? Hive Mind. Um, but, yeah, but that deck too, but, but, but those weren't popular or powerful. You know, those weren't the ones that you saw at the top tables of GPs or anything like that. Sure. Yeah. And Will, I'm sure you're devastated that you can no longer 
apparently, according to Twitter, that Jund is now dead and can never be played in any tournament ever. Uh, absolutely. It's like, I mean, I I don't necessarily, I'm not, I'm not a fan of, like, the way they wrote it out, but you know what? It's gone, and we can move on, and we can just put other stuff in its place. Like, I, are, you, are you talking about it being Jund or it being Bloodbraid Elf? Oh, sorry, uh, Bloodbraid Elf. Mm-hmm. Like, other cards can split in there. And what some people didn't understand, uh, especially as, if they weren't playing Jund, is there's a decent amount of matchups where I sideboarded out Bloodbraid Elves because they were just no good. But the other thing that went with Bloodbraid Elf is the fact that, you know, it cascaded into cards that are still there. It's st- you still have Tarmogoyf, you still have Bob, you still have Deathrite Shaman, you still have Liliana, you still have your Disruption and your Removal. So I think... I think... Bloodbraid Elf may have been the worst card in that deck, and the only reason it was played at all was because it was always well, ninety percent of the time was a two for one. I would say variably it was it went from the worst to the best. But Jund was just such a one for one deck that it had no way to really get ahead other than Bob and Bloodbraid Elf. So those were the two cards that really pushed Jund into being what it was. It's still going to be Jund without Bloodbraid Elf, but it loses a lot of its ability to grind out wins like game. Yeah, the, I, I agree with that. But Bloodbraid Elf isn't even a 90% card. Like, for cascading into stuff, obviously, you know, if you're playing with, you know, a board that's cluttered with uh, things, then it's re- you're always going to hit something that's relevant. But there's a lot of times where, you know, where, like, they'd wipe the board, say you're playing against Blue-White. You know, the board would be wiped, or after combat, uh, you know... You'd have nothing in play, and then you just have a Bloodbraid Elf, and you're like, well, I mean, I can get the three damage in, but, like, Cascade into, oh, Malstrom Pulse, useless. Oh, uh, say Terminate, not really relevant. Yeah, but then there's so many other times where you Cascade into Tarmogoyf, and all of a sudden you've got an almost insurmountable board presence. Yeah, you know, and I don't know if I'd call that a 90% anyway. I mean, you're getting that Bloodbraid Elf every time. So, like, it's 100% a card every time, and then some percentage of the time you get another relevant card ranging from blank to awesome, right? Yeah, the the thing is, Bloodbraid Elf, I don't know, like, the times where you hit a second Liliana or you hit a uh, Thoughtseize into an empty hand are enough to me that I don't even think Tarmogoyf is that good anymore. The Deathrite Shaman is everywhere. Are you crazy? Yeah, I I think think you're insane. Like, you don't think you think Bloodbraid Elf's the worst card in the deck, and you don't think Tarmogoyf's very good. I think (laughs) me and you should play some modern because when you take you know five from a two drop, and then they they play like Bloodbraid into that two drop, you're going to be like, wow, those cards are good. (laughs) (laughs) Deathrite Shaman has definitely damaged Tarmogoyf's power level in the format. That's true. It it has taken. That is a good thing. <clears throat> yeah, I think that's the a good thing, thing too. But it's also, it's not like Jund is hurting with Deathrite Shaman, right? I mean, if you've ever been turned to Lily on it, it is just painful. And you know that that's why I agreed with the comments earlier because a lot of times they do have a turn two or turn three Liliana and they'll maybe spend a thought seize or something, and basically both players' hands get ripped apart. And when the dust settles, uh, it's either Bob or, or uh, Bloodbraid Elf to, to rebuild for Jund, if they don't have access to all those tools, it certainly gives them a, a tougher option where it's a little more even footing after they've uh, spent their hand annihilating your hand. Yep. For sure. I mean, Liliana is just disgusting against a lot of decks, but from what I understand from people who've played a lot of Jund, and I'm not one of them, you side Liliana out fairly often, too. 
Yeah, she she can she ranges definitely uh, from from okay to to bad. Well, there's kind of like there's Liliana falls in the same category as like with Bob and Thoughtseize. Is there's kind of like a lot of decks that that's the package that basically just comes out. So the, the the obvious question is, what does this do to the modern format? I mean, Jund without Bloodbraid is going to lose the explosiveness, the potential explosiveness of a turn three Bloodbraid and Tarmogoyf, and is going to have to rely on something like Olivia or Huntmaster. Wait, you just said Tarmogoyf is no good. I didn't say it's no good. I said it's not <laughs> that good. Clean your ears out. <laughs> Uh, I, I even think Hero of Oxid Ridge is playable at the four drop in modern at the moment, uh, with the ability to stop the think things like Lingering Souls and uh, Death Rite Shameless from blocking. Well, see, like that's kind of a trap thinking, right? Like, there's people that are going, "Well, like Bloodbraid is a four drop, so I need to find four four drops to fix into that spot." And like, I don't, I don't think that's the thinking that you really want. Also, if you want something to deal with Lingering Souls at four, you just play Bane Deck Olivia's. Yeah, I had that pretty good. And it's not like we haven't seen other versions of Jun. I mean, look at Willie Adels, um, that uses Lotus Cobra and Thunder Maw Hellcat. I mean, it may just be that Jun retools. Yeah, that's that's absolutely an option. I mean, to me, it's like, if you looked at the metagame and you looked at the top decks, Jund was more powerful than the other decks. It just, it was one notch higher. And it feels like taking Bloodbraid Elf out of it not, puts it down one notch. It's not like the deck's gone. Right, the deck's still good. It still has most of the tools that it needed, and there's other options at four. Or like was mentioned, you can even go with with cheaper spells or a different direction, more aggressive or whatever. But the fact is, is that it needed to be taken down one notch. It was winning everything. I mean, not it, it yeah. didn't have quite that dominant feel like some decks have in the past. You mentioned Cobblade earlier, Chris, but like it's still. If you look at the results, it was it was really crushing. For sure, and I mean the only really bad matchup it had was Tron. And but see, you say that, and like I played a decent amount of Jund at GP at the PTQs. There was never a time I sat down and I was like, "This is like a bad matchup." Like I, I sat down every single round, and I'm like, "I'm gonna win this," or at least I have like this deck gives me a chance to win it. That was yeah. when you had Jund. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Jund was the 50% across the board deck. I mean, it was good against everything. And with good draws, it would be 75% against the the, uh, format. Or with a really good player, it would increase above 50%. And now with Bloodbreak gone, it may be dropped from 50 to 40% against the field. Well, Tron was the only deck that had a better than 50% against it, I I think. And I think most players who have played a lot of Jund had said to me that Tron was the only matchup they have trouble with. And that's why their board was full of things like Sowing Salt. It did. I mean, there's a lot, like, even Zoo, for example, right, would have a dis- difficult time with, say, a stream of Worm Coil Engines. Yeah. You know, like, well, one Worm Coil Engine is fine, do. but when they just start casting Worm Coil Engines the turn until, you know, they ramp up into an Emrakul, then you're just kind of like, well, this is no more fun. <laughs> turn 3 Khan is also not fun, but then again, I don't know a single deck that can deal with that well. Yeah, th- that's, you know, on, honestly, it, it, discussions going that direction, that's the deck that I have my sights on next. Like, that deck is really, really good at getting turn 3 Tron going. I mean, it's it's not difficult for that deck to do it. They need two pieces, and almost any of their search can find it. You know, Sylvan Scrying has become an absolute staple in that deck, along with Ancient Stirrings and Expedition Map, and it feels like that's the, that's kind of potentially going to become the boogeyman because man, like you just mentioned, Chris, turn three Karn is ridiculous. Like yeah. I know they don't win that turn, but 
they win that turn. Like, yeah. Yeah. How, how do you answer that, right? I mean, I'm not saying that there's literally no answers. I've heard a lot of people say, you just, like, if you have a counterspell, counter it, like mana leak it or whatever. The, the problem happens is that if you try to go for mana leaks against that deck, once they know you have them, they can very easily play around mana leak. So that's not an issue for them. So then you're leaning on things like Crypta Command or Negate. And Negate maybe main deckable, maybe not. And Cryptic Command, of course, is main deckable, but it costs four mana, and you only have four of them, right? So it's it's like they can, if you go for Cryptic Command, they can turn three Karn, and if you and go if you for mana to, leaks, they can just wait. And if and they you don't try to wait out Tron, they're going to get Emrakul. Yes, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's the thing is that they have so much inevitability built into their deck that every card that they play after they get Tron either gets them closer to playing a bomb like Wormcoil or, or Karn, or actively searches up ridiculous cards like Eldrazi. And and it's like, again, everything's redundant, right? Like, the Sylvan Scrines early in the game get Tron pieces, and later in the game they get Eye of Ugin. Like, the same thing with the the uh, Expedition, Expedition maps. Maps. Yeah, so yeah. it's like, you, you really, they really serve their purpose early and late, and all their cards are really, really cheap until they hit the six and seven drops. It's all ones and twos that either draw a card and make colored mana, or uh, keep... Or, or go search up the pieces that they need to beat you. And, uh, you know, we've seen it time and time again, but any any deck that is basically based on lands is really hard to deal with. I mean, I've been playing blue-white in Modern, and I have four uh, Tectonic Edge in the main deck. And while they're pretty good versus Tron, they, they really do some, some nice work against them. If the game goes long, they will get Tron online, and they will power out stuff uh, with inevitability that you can't deal with. And the other thing is, like most decks, if they know you have mana leak, they have to wait three turns. Tron has to wait one turn. They just need to find one more tower, and they can pay for your leak. Right. And even then, if you're a mana leak deck, unless you can keep serious pressure on them, that mana leak doesn't matter, right? I mean, I used to play Rug, and I'm really hoping that Rug comes back now that Jund has taken a hit, and maybe people are going to go away from it. I, I don't personally think that's going to happen, but I'm hoping it does, because... I was awesome with that. I love that rug deck, man. I, I knew that thing inside and out, and I knew how to play it, and uh, and I miss it. The problem is, is that now we have not only we had Jund being the best deck, and that was a very bad matchup for rug. But on top of it, Deathrite Shaman makes Snapcaster Mage a lot worse, and that rug deck was leaning pretty hard on that as well. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think the red, white, blue deck has kind of taken rug's place because mm-hmm. you got that's absolutely true. And trap yeah, and true. Lightning Helix mm-hmm. and Path. And Baneslayer in the board. Baneslayer Angel's just ridiculously good at the moment. Pretty good creature. Well, I mean, I don't know why. Well, obviously it stopped seeing standard play because of Titans, but the card is still insane. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I do have a modern FM tomorrow. Actually, just to to quickly interrupt you, the one, like, kind of downside for the Blood Raid Elf banning is the fact that I don't know if you guys have had a chance to play a. the Haunted Zoo list that read Ducat or something similar to that. I've seen it. But that was actually, like, because I played four Bloodbraid Elves, and that was actually quite enjoyable to play as a deck. Like, it did some of the similar things to John, but it also had uh, the Bolts and the Helixes or whatnot. And that's the one deck that, like, no one's mentioning. That, like, oh, that yeah. goes away. It, it also gets rid of um, the... Naya Boom Bus deck that was playing a Johnny Vengeance and uh, was using Bloodbraid to cascade into Boom Bus. Thank God. That was brutal. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I remember the first time that happened to me on Magic Online, and I'm like, oh, yeah, he doesn't have a target. And then he's like, wait, where's my lands, and why is my (laughs) 
kitchen sinks that half my screen size now. And, like, called one of my judge buddies, and he's like, yep, that works. I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. <laughs> really glad that didn't catch on, or at least it's gone now. Well, I had that judge call at the GP. Someone uh, cascaded into Boom Bust, and the look on the player's face when I told him that, yes, in fact, he did have to put all his lands in the yard, it was priceless. That's sad, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Almost as sad as when I had to give KYT a warning for being a savage cheat. Oh, you did? Oh, yeah, he was terrible. What did he do? He cast a Geistersintraff with only one blue-white source. What Such a, a hacker. I tell you, right? Wait, you only on need a- one blue-white source. Well, no, he only had one man, one land that could produce blue or white. Oh, I see. What a hacker. I tell you, just terrible. Just terrible. <laughs> cool. All right. All so let's, Canadians uh, let's, are untrustworthy. <laughs> I, I'm not a Canadian, so I can't possibly comment on that. If you ask uh, John Lauxa, he'll tell you most Canadians are just terrible at magic. In general. <laughs> well, well you, you say that, but I'd much rather play in an American PTQ than a Canadian PTQ. Softer? It is. I mean, maybe it's just the ones that I've played that are in, you know, around in and around the Northeast. But there's some pretty soft ones, whereas going to Canadian PTQs, it's kind of like, oh, everyone that I know from Canada that plays Magic seems to be here. Okay, so if they're so soft, uh, you must have won a couple then, Will, huh? No, I'm an awful player. We've already been up. Ah, right. <laughs> so the real reason, of course, that we have Marshall on is to finally talk about Limited. Uh, it's a popular FNM format, although not here, and I'm sure a lot of you have been waiting patiently for us to talk about it on the show. And with a new set out and finally legal for drafting this week, what better time to have him on? So I've just finished listening to your marathon set review, Marshall. I don't know how you do it. Yeah, we're, we're going to do the rares and mythic rares tonight. In fact, right after this podcast, we're doing that. Good grief. You <laughs> yeah, we are machines. That's true. I mean, I've done three in one night, but I was no good the next day. <laughs> yeah, I feel you. <laughs> so, my initial reaction... Well, let's talk about the pre-release weekend first. Uh, Marshall, you played in some, didn't you? I did. I played in two, actually. Um, and, you know, they did it the way they did the Return to Ravnica, where you get to pick your guild, and where you get a uh, a guild leader and a guild pack as uh, yeah. substituted for one of your packs, and... Uh, yeah, I, I decided to choose two different guilds just because I like to mix it up and try to get as much play in as I can because i got to write my article and i got to do the show, and I'm, so I'm trying to just soak in information at this point. I ended up doing Simic on Saturday, and on Sunday I did uh, Demir. Interesting. I would have put you on Orzov after Simic. Oh, I love, but... I love or- Orzov. Don't get, I mean, I really <laughs> wanted to do it, but they were actually sold out of Orzov for Sunday. So <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> I had to yeah, okay. Demir, yeah. Yeah, mine all right, well, we'll talk about how we found each individual guild. I just want to go around and see who played what. Will, what did you play in yours? Did you do all six again? I didn't play in any, actually. You failed. Get off the show. I, Travis, how many I, I, did I'm, you I'm sorry. There was something else that required my attention that meant I couldn't be at a playing Magic. I, I don't care. Yeah, girlfriends are the worst. <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> mine actually came, when, came to the midnight one and what? picked me up at 5 o'clock in the morning. Wow. So... Yeah, I I that theory. (laughs) She just doesn't ever want to learn how to play. Eh, that's fine. Uh, Travis, what did you play? I played Simic. So did I. Uh, I played three. I normally would have played all five, but girlfriend was in town. So I played Boros, Orzov. Actually, I played four, I guess, because I played Simic and Demir. So yeah, I did play four. 
So you only and, you only missed out on Gruel. Yeah, which I mean, I pretty much knew how Gruel was going to play out. You just play seventeen lines and twenty three dudes. Sure. <laughs> you know that works. Well, I don't know about you guys, but uh, some of my friends' stories I was getting, it was all Gruel players that were winning. Uh, we had all Boros players winning. Oh. Uh, we had, I think, Boro, Boros and Orzov, but uh, Mr. Kirk Dubay did 5-1 and one with Gruul. Yeah, out here is similar. There was a lot of Boros winning. Uh, Gruul seemed to do well. Orzov seemed to do well. Demir did not. And uh, Simic was, like, in the middle somewhere. Like, didn't seem particularly potent. The only time Demir won out here was the Sunday afternoon two-headed giant. Uh, some random guy <laughs> named Chris Lansdale won that with his partner. Did you mill him out? Every game. Yeah. So, There's a lot of that going on with Demir. I think uh, I had quite a few people coming up and saying, did you realize this for Two-Headed Giant? And I'm like, I haven't really thought about it, but yeah, that seems good. Well, Mill is my favorite archetype. I mean, I keep bugging you to talk about Mill decks on the show. And <laughs> I figured that, you know, everybody was talking about how good Ozov was going to be in Two-Headed Giant because Extort is a double whammy. Mm-hmm. But with Mill, you actually you have two players, if you're both playing Demir... You have two players trying to mill only one person. So it, it's kind of synergistic that way. Oh, that's very synergistic. I mean, that would be similar to if you could have both players trying to kill one guy with damage, right? But yeah, instead, exactly. it's, it's two worth. So, yeah, for sure. But we, we had this plan going in. We took two Demir guild packs, and I sort of, I built the Demir deck, and he sort of cobbled together what he could. And, I mean, Consuming Aberration was definitely the best of the pre-release cards. I agree with that. Um, I got a chance to play with or against all of them, and uh, I thought that Consuming Aberration was the best one by quite a bit. Yeah, for sure. I also um, think the Simic one was particularly not amazing, and I think that was part of the reason why we didn't see Simic taking down a lot of these events. Fathom? I saw it. Go ahead. Yeah, Fathom Mage. Yeah. I saw it do some disgusting things. I did too, <laughs> and then I lost. <laughs> because it turns out when you spend your entire fourth mana, you know, four turn, uh, turn four or whatever, whenever you have your fourth mana to play a 1 1 that doesn't evolve your guys and doesn't do anything, uh, it can be pretty hard to recover when your opponent's like, okay, attack battalion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Like, or, lightning helix you yeah, or extort you three times this turn and then attack you and you're just like but i have a one one i want you to note that and i might draw cards next turn you know <laughs> but so uh, the first round we sat down we had this mill plan all set to go and we sit down against these two guys brand new players who thought you had to build 60 card decks and we're like oh this plan isn't looking so good anymore <laughs> no <laughs> Uh, fortunately, Consuming Aberration gets really big when the opponent has 60 cards in their deck. Um, so what what were your initial thoughts on the, on the fake sealed environment, Marshall? Uh, you, you mean just like uh, for Gatecrash or just the fact that we had this uh, this weird well, you know, this weird pre-release environment? For Gatecrash, like any cards that stood out? Yeah, um, so there were some interesting things that I noticed. Uh, we, we talked about these during the set review as predictions, and then we got to see kind of what, what came about. And, uh, you know, the removal is definitely better in Gatecrash than it was in Return to Ravnica, and that was a factor. Uh, you know, For stuff sure. died more often. Although, I have to say, the removal isn't amazing, right? Like, if you look at something like a core set that has Doom Blades and Lightning Bolts and, and Pacifism, you know, two-mana almost unconditional removal spells and uh, and cheaper, some of them even at instant speed. You don't see that very often, right? We've got no. cards like 
what is it called, Grizzly Spectacle, Two Black Black, that is almost unconditional, at least within the limited environment. And, you know, that's about as good as it gets as far as an instant homing lightning similar to that. And, you know, there's uh, the Edict as well, which is a two-mana instant. But overall, I did notice for sure that the removal was better. That said, you know, I played against Boros, and they still were able to develop enough of a board to beat me down. And almost any card that I faced that said Battalion on it ended up being pretty good. They certainly aren't that good on their own, but once you get that critical Battalion hit in, I noticed that it was usually two swings before you were dead. Also, one of the things that I noticed that I didn't expect to be good, and I still don't know, and this is a huge one that I've gotten a lot of responses on social media and stuff about too, is was uh, Madcap Skills. That card is stupid. Yeah, everybody keeps saying that. And because, you know, on the set review, we gave it a, a pretty low rating because, you know, in a vacuum, that card's not that great. Uh, it enables a few extra attacks that you might not get, but it also opens you up for a two-for-one. It doesn't pump its toughness, so it's not like it's help pr- protecting it in that way. It doesn't make it particularly a better blocker. So it's a pretty narrow card, right? Like, you certainly wouldn't pay, uh, you know, two in a red or one in a red to get in three extra damage. Uh, like on an attack. that That's not a card you'd play. But it turns out that I think Boros might just be aggressive enough so that you actually would pay that. And because there's significant, significant upside as well, which with enabling early attacks that you wouldn't normally have, and on top of it, the tempo hit of having that extra damage tacked on. So I, I'm going to keep an eye on that card. But, you know, I got to say, we talk about on our show, we talk about best case scenario mentality as, as one of the sort of pitfalls that people fall into a lot where they will have a card, it will perform exceptionally well for them in a certain circumstance, and then they will mark it as awesome and never revisit that again, never remembering the times when it was actually mediocre or actively bad for them. For example, yeah. my opponent, I had uh, two different opponents over the course of the weekend play madcap skills against me, and I, and I killed their creature in response both times. And, you know, that's, I basically won the game off of that, right? Like, I two for one them at instant speed on their turn when they were used up their turn to cast this card instead of, like, develop their board. And not only did I take a lot less damage that turn, they couldn't cast anything. You know, they had to ship the turn back to me, and I was able to capitalize on that. And that is still very much a real risk with madcap skills. So I think that, you know, the question is going to become, is it worth it to to slap that thing on a creature and get in for one hit? If you're happy with that, because you can wait till they're tapped out, get in that hit, and then say, look, if you if you kill my guy now, I can take that. That's fine. Then that's where that card's threshold goes from being, like, unplayable to good. And uh, it, from early indications, it feels like it's actually good. Yeah, and it is. And the thing is with Boris that I found, and I, mean, I saw this card, I, it did work for me, it did work for my opponents. Sometimes they just need to get that one last hit in. Yeah, and you know, I saw that too, man. Because what, what the, the progression of the games that I noticed was uh, play a couple of cheap and kind of crappy early guys, but get in a few hits. Then at some point in the mid-stage of the game, get a battalion hit in. And that puts your opponent on critical, right? They're like beep, 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 and uh, and anything basically kills them. And then it was something like that, like a madcap skills or um, like uh, active treason. I saw that end a ton of games too, where you just weren't quite there. And the active treason not only enabled a bunch of damage, but also enabled uh, that second battalion hit, which finished off the opponent. And I saw that pretty consistently with Boros. Um, I was able to beat Boros twice with my Demir deck. But I think I had it pretty well sorted ahead of time 
what I was going to do. Like, I traded and killed anything that I could as fast as possible. That was my whole yeah. entire strategy. And Boris gets a lot of decent removal, too. I mean, Smite was key all day, from what I saw. Arrows of Justice was pretty good. Yes. You know, mugging is good early. Yes. Homing Lightning is there. Like that, All of this removal is in red and white. Even the um, Angelic Edict was pretty good, the five-mana yep. I put it in the necessary evil category of, of removal. It's like, you play it, you need it, but you're not happy about it. <laughs> well, the bonus is that it also takes care of Assemble the Legion and Five Alarm Fire, which will just plain kill you if you don't take care of it. Yeah, they certainly can as well. Yeah, I, I was really impressed by Boros, though. I'm pretty scared to see how good it is in draft because remember this was sealed like yeah sure it was guild pack you know where you got this crazy uh focused pack but still like man that was ridiculous for sealed like you're not used to getting beaten i I got smoked you know what else was pretty good martial glory isn't that what it was called (laughs) you're just biased no i know but (laughs) i am but it's still like uh it it really did a lot of work that's the plus three, plus O, plus O, plus three one? That's right, for for yeah. white-red at instant speed at common. And, you know, what it, what that card ended up doing, at least for my opponent, and I thought this was beautiful, the design of this card I think is fantastic, and, I mean, the name is awesome too, but is he would attack me, and there would be uh, either a, a favorable block for me, like where I'd be eating one of his creatures, or a trade that he normally wouldn't want to make, and this would... So he'd get a battalion hit off of this, and he would, I would block accordingly, and he would just simply save the guy that was blocked. Yeah, he his guy didn't trade for mine or eat mine, but it just stayed alive, and then he, and then I took three damage somewhere else, and all yeah. of a sudden I'm like, whoa! Like if he has anything, I'm dead. Like if he has like a madcap skills, I'm dead. If he has another martial glory, I'm dead. If he has a burn spell, I'm dead. If he has uh, active treason, I'm just dead here, right? And I'm just yeah. like, wow! But at the same time. I, I can appreciate this card because that's a pretty all-in strategy. Like, he basically used an entire card out of his hand to get three damage in and to keep a guy alive. That normally is, like, marginal, right? Yeah, and sure. But when it comes down to how many battalion hits can you get, then this card just becomes a key. Yeah, that that seemed important all day. The One of the sweetest plays I saw all day, though, uh, before we go to Travis to see how he, what he thought, I saw a guy block with a Boris Reckoner. And it was like a, a, a three-power dude, and the Boris Reckoner was going to trade with it. He then blood-rushed the 9-9 Trampler onto his opponent's creature. <laughs> That's awesome. To win the game out of nowhere. That was that painful. Is fantastic. Oh, man. So, Travis, what were your experiences with uh, with Simic? Um, I had a decent Simic deck. I had a couple of Experiment 1. I had three Simic Charms. Um... The big thing with Simic was you would spend all your resources and all your early turns building up one guy, and if they had the removal for that one guy, it set you back a couple of turns, it felt like. Yeah, it sure did. So um, while I had a decent early game by turn three or four when he drew the removal spell, it was pretty much all for naught. Yeah, I I found when I played Simic, uh, I think I went three and two with Simic. Um, It felt weird. I had red splashed in it. Because blood rushing onto uh, onto the evasive guys seemed like a pretty good plan, especially the unblockable zero four. Love that guy, elusive crisis. Oh, yeah. yeah, he was good. But I found uh, that the best cards for me were ones that I think were aimed at Demir, like Keymaster Rogue in the Evolve deck was really good. 
That's the uh, that's the unblockable guy. The three two unblockable that bounces one of your own dudes. Yeah, yeah. I I think the best card in my deck ended up being the uh, the four drop two three leyline guy. Whenever you play a green creature, you can put a plus one plus one counter on another creature. Yeah, that thing was sweet. Yeah, he ended up being fantastic. Yeah, super evolved. Doesn't care what it is, as long as it's green. That guy was awesome. Yes, I saw when you played uh, Fathom Mage with him. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Fathom Mage was good for me. <laughs> forced adaptation on Fathom Mage was pretty good too. Yeah, that seems good. You know, I had a, I had a great play, uh, at least one that I was pretty proud of. Um, I had an early, a relatively early, uh, evolved creature that had grown, and I think it had four counters on it or something like that. And I, uh, I went into attack. And uh, my opponent didn't have any blocks because the creature was huge. So I used the uh, the green, put a plus one, plus one counter on this and uh, untap it. Oh, yeah. I can't, I can't remember what that's called. but uh, Burst of strength. Yeah, burst of strength. And, and I, I used that, and so I got in for a little bit of extra damage. And then post-combat, um, I played uh, the Fathom Mage, and I shipped the turn back. And he attacked me. I blocked with Fathom, Fathom Mage, and I used BioShift to move all the counters to Fathom Mage. Oh. Yeah, so I drew five <laughs> cards and uh, and ate his guy, and I was just like, flex. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> draw all of the cards. Yeah, I mean, you know how good it feels to draw five cards <laughs> off the top of your library? It's, it's like your opponent's like, really, man? You're just still one mana, right? Yeah, just for one, one card and one mana. But I don't know if that was a particularly great long-term plan, but it sure felt good at the time. <laughs> I think Simic is going to suffer from the draft format because a lot of the creatures, like Adaptive Snapjaw, I think is a creature that Gruul will pick up sure. because it's going to evolve from pretty much all of Gruul's creatures as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, the removal is not in Simic colors, and removal really hurts the evolved deck. Yeah, it, 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 thankfully there's not that much bounce around for, for Simic because that's really devastating as well. But yeah, the removal kills it. I mean... What I felt like, I played a bunch of games against Boros. Uh, my buddy that I was at the pre-release with had a Boros deck, and so in between rounds we were just jamming games, and uh, I could never beat him. His deck was particularly strong, and mine was actually pretty bad. It was funny, because I was actually happy with my Simic deck, and I'm like, hey, this looks pretty good, I've got this, I've got some tools. And then a guy sat down next to me to play his match, and I <clears throat> was in between games, and I looked over at his board, and he had, like, Elusive Krasis, uh, Cloudfin Raptor, and, like... I looked at his hand and he had like a Simic charm in his hand and I'm like, wait, I don't have any of those. <laughs> then he played he played Samic, uh, Zamic Guild Mage and I'm like, yeah. yeah, I don't have that either. I'm like, wait, my deck might just suck. <laughs> and uh, I realized it was a lot more mediocre than I thought. Um, I would have killed for a for a uh, Simic charm. My God, that card's sweet. Yeah, that that's ridiculous. So, well, have you looked at the set for drafting at all? I have to a certain extent. I did. I wrote a set review for Mad Deprived that will be up at some point. I don't necessarily say it's going to be good, but it will be up. Oh, yeah. I suppose I should start on mine. Set, set reviews are hard. Oh, you're telling me? Well, yeah. see, I, like, I learned from Chris from the first time, because Chris waited till all the spoilers were out and then just seemed to take eight years and every single hour of the day he had to do it. So I decided to start mine as soon as they like came out with the first spoilers. So I did, like, a little each day, so, like, five or six cards, whatever, spoiled. Yeah, that's really smart. But then when they spoiled, like, and I was like, okay, I'm ready for when they spoil everything else. But then they spoiled everything else, and I was like, oh, what did I get myself into? 
Yeah, the, yeah, that last hit is ridiculous. You know, we we have that too with the show. We try. I try to keep up on the visual on the visual thing on the on daily, and and you know, I monitor the other sites as well just to see what might be coming. Although I don't put a lot of stock into it, and uh, but yeah, then when that last, it's just like what 150 cards or something. You're like, yeah. what? <laughs> <laughs> Ain't nobody got time for that. Yeah, yeah, that, that hit me like a ton of bricks for the Return to Ravnica one, and like I've got a lot of stuff going on here at the moment. We've got a a local guy. We had our first PTQ in November, so a local guy won that and is going to the Pro Tour. So we've been doing infinite testing for that, and I'm trying to sell my house, and yeah, you know, it's a it's a busy time. So set review has sort of gone to the back of the back burner. Yeah, but yeah, the um. From what I've seen, like, I think Demir can actually be good in drafting. I know on the set review, you and John were talking about how the good blue cards will go to Simic and the good black cards will go to the uh, the Ozov drafters. Yeah, that that was definitely a fear. Although I have to say that you know I did take Demir and I and I went four zero with it, and uh, so I you know won the pre release or whatever at the shop I was at, and it was. I don't think that my deck was particularly strong either. Um, so, you know, I do have hope for Demir uh, as far as that goes. I, I've gotten a lot of people having a similar sentiment, which is that they think it kind of feels like they're calling it the is it of, uh, of Gate Crash. Because is it, when we went into Return to Ravnica, was really hard to figure out. It was like, what is this deck trying to do? Like, when we first saw Populate, it's like, ding, I know what that's doing, right? Like, th- there wasn't a whole lot. When you looked at Rakdos, it was like, well, they want to attack a lot. And you didn't really need to think about it too much. It was just sort of figuring out what cards were good and stuff. But when it came to Izzet, it was like, what is this even doing? Are you trying to counter everything? Is it like a gutter snipe type strategy? Is it aggressive? Is it not? And we, it took us a long time to kind of figure out how that pieced together. And a lot of people are feeling that way about Demir because there's these random mill cards thrown in and then half the mill cards like damage your opponent. And you're just like, wait a minute. Why, why am I milling? You know, when I played in the pre-release, it made perfect sense because, you know, you play the two three flying vampire guy and it mills the dude for a while, it grinds him or whatever, and you're like, yeah, whatever. I got a two three flyer, it's fine. And then you play that stupid aberration, and you're like, oh right, this makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Now all of a sudden that thing's a seven seven and things look good, but that's not how draft is going to go, and that's not how normal sealed is going to go either. So I think there's still a lot of question marks. One thing that I did come away from the pre-release though is that I was very impressed by Cipher. Uh, it was better than I thought it was going to be for sure. Yeah, Paranoid Delusions was very good, but Hands of Binding was an all-star. Yeah, I found Hands of Binding to be really good as well. That was actually the first card that I ever, my first article on Daily for limited information was about that card. That was my first preview card. So I kind of have a a near and dear, I've spent far far too much time thinking about Hands of Binding, (laughs) because when I got it, it was in like December, like like Cypher didn't exist we had seen like five cards from the set or something. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> like the first time I read it, it's like, then you may encode this onto your creature. I'm like, encode what? <laughs> like, I, And I can't ask anybody because I have to like, I can't tell anybody about the card. So like, you know, I'm tapping my fingers and I want to call like you, Chris, or my buddy Joe Bono, you know, and try to get some answers, but I can't because I'm like on NDA and I have to just like, Okay, I hope this is right, you know, because otherwise, uh, you know, my article looks really bad, and on top of it, it was my first one. So, uh, yeah, Hands of Binding is a card I'm pretty uh, intimately familiar with, but I agree, Chris. It, it, it performed very well for me as well, enabling things to start going. Uh, that said, 
Well, I don't know. Like, I played the uh, Last Thoughts, you know, the draw card one. Yes. And I, I actually... That very good. Yeah, I did, too, uh, surprisingly. Like, it, my normal thoughts on it, not Last Thoughts, but my normal thoughts would be, okay, I play this card, I draw a card, I encode it onto my dude, and I get in. Now I'm going to wait till there's an opening before I can do that. So I do that, and now I've played, paid four for di- divination. Uh, okay, uh, pretty unhappy about that, but now I've got this upside where I can actually keep attacking. Well, I was able to make that happen many, many times. It was weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like Boros, turns out they don't block that well. You know, <laughs> like you, no. you get a random flyer, and they're not they're not able to get in and get you. And, you know, I did, I did feel a little weird, though. I was leaning really hard on cards like uh, Psychic Strike. Yeah. You know, the yeah, counterspell, yeah. which I hate to do that, but, like, Man, when your opponent's like, Aurelia? <laughs> you're like, no. <laughs> you know, and that's like the only reason that you're not dead is, is cards like Psychic Strike sometimes. It's funny. I had Aurelia in my Boros pool, and I never Jeez. cast her once. I drew her three times, never cast her once. Uh, and I also only cast a Foundry Champion once, and that was to deal the last three damage to an opponent. Th- that was the, uh, the promo the card? card? Okay. Yeah, I found that my deck was just too fast to ever need a six drop. That's interesting. But with Jameer, uh, I found that the cipher cards. I even had stolen identity do work for me. Oh, really? Interesting. I I, I never uh, got to see that even played, and I certainly didn't have one in my pool. Uh, I had it. My my two headed giant partner had it in his pool, so we put it in the deck, and uh, we put it on the can only be blocked by rogues. And we just started uh-huh. copying. We just started copying that guy. Okay. And it was just inevitable damage because they had no rogues. Yeah, I mean that seems awesome. Like it, it seems to fit with what Demir is doing overall, which is that it's just super slow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you you paid six mana for a two-two, you know, pseudo unblockable. You got in there, so then you had two of them, which is like pretty good. And then, like, by the third turn that you hit or whatever, it's amazing. Like, you've got this huge board presence and solar identity looks looks ridiculous. But in the meantime, my, man, you just mentioned how your Boros deck was just like, yeah, one of the better six drops they've made recently. Don't need that, you know? <laughs> and solar <laughs> yeah. identity is, like, certainly not one of the better six drops they've made recently. And it's just like, oh, thank God we have this if you're in Demir. You know, it's interesting how, how separate these things can actually be. Oh, I agree. And I think... The biggest key to this format is can you survive Boros? Yeah, you know, that's a great point, Chris. We we had that similar thing with uh, Return to Ravnica where the, the great equalizer was always Rakdos because a lot of people wanted to do three and four color decks in, in Return to Ravnica, and you couldn't. I mean, no. yeah, sure, you could get away with it. You could get gates. You could get some transkilled promenades, and you could draft four color decks. And the round that you faced Rakdos was the round that you went out of that tournament because they yeah. would just smash you. They, they, their deck was too consistent and too efficient to uh, to let you get away with it. And you know, I'm curious to see what we have here in uh, in Gate Crash, but it kind of feels like uh, Boros is going to take that that role over for Rakdos. I'm interested, uh, Travis, did you play against Ozov at all? I did not. What about you, Marshall? Did you play against him? Uh, I, I did sort of. Um, so at the second pre-release when I was Demir, I played against John. He, he was okay. there with me, and uh, he was playing Orzov, and his, his pool was great. He's also, like, a better player than I am, and he just smashed me. <laughs> I was uh, lucky enough to open a foil... Uh, Obsidat in my pool. What is wrong with you? Did you just open awesome stuff all day? <laughs> <laughs> he gloats about it to us. <laughs> I mean, jeez, you guys put up with this every week? It's brutal. 
Well, you know, I've, I had to stop gloating about the fact that Patrick Chapin said one of my decks sounded awesome. So that was 40 <laughs> episodes ago. Now I'm on to talking about what I own. Now you've got four <laughs> All right. But uh, I, the way I built the Ozov deck, and I think this might be the way to do it going forward, and for me to hit the correct way to do it is very unusual. I think you need a lot of stuff really low on the curve. Just cheap stuff. Lots of ones and two drops, a couple of threes, because that way when you get to turn four, five, and six, you know, you can drop your Basilica Guard and extort three times and not worry about developing your mana because you have nothing else on the curve above that. Sure. I mean, obviously, if you have Obsidat, you're playing it and you're not looking back because that card is ridiculous. Right. Uh, but Treasury Thrall, I cast it once and it, it was good, but I couldn't extort the turn I cast it. And I don't think I needed to extort the rest of the game. Yeah, I, I found that card to be uh, fine. You know, it was a fine value spell, but it wasn't amazing. But I found like, I would be going, like, turn one, I played that Thrall, whatever it was, Thrall Parasite that eats counters and has extort, I think, the one-drop black dude. I think that's right. Uh, yeah, Thrall Parasite, that's right. Into, like, Basilica Screecher or the Syndic of Tithes, another limited information preview card. Mm-hmm. Uh, extort bear into kingpin's pet which was just really good all day i mean two two flyer for three yeah you'll take that anytime yeah, we, we give that right? a very high rating in the review yeah the card is really good but the best what i found sometimes is it was correct to hold your one drops until you could drop two of them in a turn and extort twice yeah, that makes a lot of sense i mean oftentimes the uh, the one drops aren't doing much work on the ground anyway especially like if you're on the draw Right, because like you play your one drop and then they play a two two and it, your one drop does nothing that turn. It's not blocking and it's not attacking, so you might as well get extort triggers out of it. I think I'm going to disagree with you there because I think the way Orzov plays mm-hmm. is it just extorts as much as possible mm-hmm. and just chump blocks at every possible opportunity. Oh, that's that's suicide. You're definitely not chump blocking at every opportunity. I mean, if you want to block, there's the one drop with. Uh, <clears throat> Regenerate. With regenerate, and that yeah. you know th- th- that I can get behind on a block, but like you you cannot afford like if you played a one one for one, and with, like maybe if it has extort or not, and you ship the turn and they play a two two, and the next turn they attack you and you just throw it in front of it, like y- you're just losing that okay. game. So maybe I exaggerated a little, but perhaps <laughs> like, just a little bit. Immortal servitude is is ridiculous in the Ozov deck because a lot of the stuff you want to bring back is at one or two. So, you know, you're going to get value if you cast it for one or two. Yeah, now that's a rare. So, you know, when it comes to, like, talking about the format in general, it's not as relevant. But sure, I mean, that that card just seems sweet. It is. Um, But I think once it gets to the late game, your your main source of damage is extort. You might get in every now and then with the Kingpin's pet because it does have evasion and, you know, 2-2 in the air. It, it It can do some work. But... The majority of the games I won with Ozov, I did upwards of 10 damage with Extort. Yeah, I saw that too, and I, I think that, you know, the deck was built to do that, and it looks like it's good at doing exactly that. And, you know, the, the beautiful part about Extort, of course, is that you, it enables itself to do that. You stay alive longer after gaining the life so that you can actually make this strategy work. Yeah. The deck was fun as heck to play. I really wished I could have had a blue splash to put a des- uh, dust mantle seer in there, but I didn't open one because I have a feeling that would have been just really good in that. Deck. I'm surprised you didn't open one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, his deck already had Obsidat and Immortal Servitude. Like, yeah, I mean, why not a foil <laughs> dust mantle seer too? <laughs> 
I mean, I'm not going to complain. I didn't open any Aurelius Fury. Though. Did you want a watery grave so the splash was easy too? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I didn't open a single one of those. I did end up uh, with five Sacred Foundries over the course of the weekend. Okay, well, you took care of that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Foil Godless Shrine looks every bit as beautiful as you think it does. Yeah, <laughs> look at you. <laughs> I I traded for that. Though. Oh, you did. Okay, fair. Yeah, <laughs> different. <laughs> Well, but, yeah, I mean, in all fairness, I don't think you opened that well in the Return to Ravnica one, did you? Uh, n- which one? I did five. Oh, no, like, just <laughs> general. Like, I'm pretty sure I won that one for walking away, for, like, in terms of value, right? Because I had four Angels of Serenity that I opened to that one, oh, yeah. and then, like, two Shocklands per pool. And a foil death right. I had no death crap death. in either of these sets. You guys suck. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. That's brutal. I, I got an Aurelius Fury, which I'm told is worth something. Yeah, it is. That card doesn't seem that good to me, though. Is it good? Is that card... You guys concentrate a lot on the F&M level and standard constructed. Is Aurelius Fury real? Travis is not the one to ask on this, though, because he thinks it's better than Jace the Mind Sculptor. I don't think it's better than Jace. I think it's better than Bonfire. Okay. What do you think, William? I mean, it has a unique ability, but I don't really see it being that relevant. Like, Chris? At, at best, most times, it's just going to be Orm's Chant, right, in the Boros deck? Uh, I mean, I think it has potential. The thing is, the best use for it is going to be in an aggro deck to sort of deal the last couple of points of damage, tap down some blockers, and get in for the final swing. Travis, I think, is overrating it. But see, I, so I just think it's one of the best cards in the set, and maybe one of the defining ones of the block. I don't think that's overrating it. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, if if he really thinks that, he's right. I mean, that's, you know, I, I don't know how good this card is. That's why I'm asking. But, I mean, you know, if if you had seen Bonfire at first and he said something like that, you know, he wouldn't have been overrating it. It's just a defining card. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be honest, I've, I haven't played against it in any of my standard testing. In Limited, uh, the times I saw it played, it was okay, but Clan Defiance would have been better. Now nah, you're crazy, dude. In Limited, that card is absolutely insane. <laughs> oh, yeah. Don't, it is. Yeah, that, that, I mean, Clan Defiance is also awesome, but like Aurelius Fury, Fury Unlimited, it's probably the best card in the set for Limited. Um, I'm, I think it is, or Mind Grind is. Mind Grind is ridiculous. I mean, did you read that card? <laughs> I did. It's an instant two, speed fireball that can wipe their whole board, or just <laughs> kill them, or do both. Like, well, it's not. It's not likely to wipe their whole board. Why? Uh, because of the amount of mana you'd have to put into it to do that, because it divides the damage. Sure. Okay. I mean, you can divide it as you choose, though. Isn't that right? Yeah. You'll take out at least two or three blockers. Uh, or just tap down all of their blockers, because you can just deal one to each creature. But don't, but wait a minute. Am I, missing barn, a, you kill three I do get creatures. to divide the damage any way I want, right? Yes, you do. Like, if I put, like, seven mana into this as my big finisher, I can do, like, two, 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 one, or two, two, three, or something to creatures? Yes, you can. Okay, yeah, no, this this thing's legit, man. Or you I don't know do, about for standard. You can creatures and then deal the rest of them an alpha strike. Yes, yeah. this is that, probably more likely. That's more likely the best play, especially if you're putting this in a Boros or a Naya aggro deck. But when I saw Clan Defiance played, every single time it was played, it was a complete blowout. It was taking it was it was almost always a two for one, and it always went to the face. Yeah, I mean that, that card's. I got. I mean, I wouldn't quite call it a three for one if they get a flyer, a dude, and hit your face, but it's close. 
You know, yeah. like that extra damage probably isn't worth a full card, but it's somewhere in between. And that happened to me twice at two different occasions where he got both a flyer, a dude on the ground, and, and, and me. And I'm just like, wow. Yeah. Really so, glad that's a rare. The um, One of the things I pointed out to one of the guys at the store is that if you are playing Naya Colors in this set, you legitimately have three X spell finishes that you're four, rather, that you can use with Aurelius Fury, Clan Defiance, Cinder Elemental, and Biomass Mutation. All of those can just kill an opponent out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And, it's great. You know, <laughs> X, X Burn in Limited has generally been pretty good. Yeah, it's also pretty annoying, but I think it's a good card, good type of card to have. And plus, you know, like Biomass Mutation doesn't exactly go to the face, you know, so I think it's okay. That Mind Grind card, though, I haven't actually seen it resolved yet, but it looks just stupid for Limited. One of, yeah, I ha- we had it in our double Demir pool, and it was funny because we kept asking our opponents how many lands are in your graveyard. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, because you got okay. So you got six lands in your graveyard. You've got five in play. You've got two cards in hand. You've had one in hand for a while, so that's probably not a land. You're probably sitting on a six drop. So at most, there's six land left in your library. Mine grind you for seven. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty savage. And even if you don't kill him in that case, then you still have Consuming Aberration. Which, by the way, triggers before the mind grind starts and hits the extra land in the case your math is off. <laughs> oh, jeez, for real? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the brutal thing was when you had Cypher with Consuming Aberration. Because those spells are caught. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that was one of the things that we... That we talked about, and uh, yeah, that was good. I, I, I got quite a few of my opponents with that, because I, I had that uh, last thoughts going, and then I was like, grind you? And they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, keep going, because I mean, mo- you know, your average like pre-release limited type player doesn't, th- they respect mill too much. You know, they fear mill. Like, when they, when they if, if you have a card that just said, like, mill three, they would be like, oh, no. You know, even though it does, like, essentially nothing to the game state. And uh, so every time you, you grind, but I got to say, you know, when you start stacking up spell after spell after spell with that aberration out, like, usually you just kill them before they get milled, but I I got some guys down really low. Yeah, and I, I know on the set review, you and John were sort of not big fans of the fact that you were kill- you were attacking them on two different angles, and I hate why that. are we building them? Well, yeah, but in this case... Both of them are viable courses to victory because the creatures, like things like Consuming Aberration and White of Precinct 6, they get huge, but they don't trample, so they can just get chump blocked. So you're still killing them another way while that's happening. But you're not. I mean, that's the thing, is that, like, unless your deck can, like, has the ability to actually mill your opponent out, you know, through some repeatable means, that's just not a viable strategy. So, you know, what I've come up with is a, a pretty happy medium where I just ignore that. Like, you get random value because other cards care about that, but it's not your primary goal is to mill them out unless you have certain rares or certain cards in your pool, especially post-pre-release, right? Like, where yeah. you just don't get an aberration every single time. And uh, <clears throat> I can deal with that. It makes grading the cards difficult because you look at a card like that Vampire the 2-3 Flyer that grinds when it enters the battlefield, and you're like, well, all right, I'm going to grind them. But... How do I, like, is that value to me? Like, is that something that I'm like, I'd, I'd pay extra mana for that? Because the 2-3 flying for 4 is fine, but it's not yeah. amazing. And, and that, what it says in the text box is often the tiebreaker. And so it's like one of these things where you're like, well, 
is getting that grind really a good thing for me or does it even matter? And where I've kind of come down is it's something that probably positively affects your other cards, but it is, it doesn't affect the vampire. The vampire is still just a two, three flyer that's looking to beat down. It's not like a mill card. Sure. The other one is the undercity informer that sacks your, sacks a dude to, to grind. Yeah. See that one you, you could actually conceivably uh, draft around and make a mill deck out of. Yeah, and uh, the, I found that one was really good, especially like in response to removal, or if you're if you have to chump block, like you just grind them randomly for value. Yeah, and I mean you're not getting a ton out of it, but you know if you've got the the enchantment that gives minus X minus X Rex as the creatures in their graveyard, then you can get a little something out of that. Or if you did get lucky and get an aberration, then it'll be bigger. But I mean you're just not getting anything out of that, you know. But even I then, think- you have like at common, there's Mortistrider, right? Which isn't a great plan per se, but if you can just throw them in front uh, for chum blocking, it certainly helps your mill plan. Oh, just like making the game go long. Yeah. Yeah, sure. You mean like to combo with Undercity Informer, or yeah, with Undercity Informer. Sure. Yeah, I, like I think Undercity Informer like is a way that you can actually plan on milling your opponent out because if you have a few Undercity Informers, you know where you have a little redundancy in case one of them dies. You can draft creatures that never plan to attack, right? You can draft your whole deck just saying, look, I'm, I'm going to mill you out. I'm going to do it with Undercity Informer, and I'm just going to sit back, right? I'm not, I'm not planning on ever, on ever sending my guys in, and you can draft a strategy around it. I think that's, that's fine. Like, I think I'm, I mean, I'll tell you what, I'm definitely going to try that. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, what are the chances that BDM mills you out in a coverage team draft? Oh, it's, before the end? <laughs> <laughs> it is uh, way higher than it should be, I it's like somewhere in the 65% range. I mean, BDM's funny because he can draft these wacky decks, <clears throat> but he also just drafts, like, straight-up good decks sometimes, and you're just like, you're not supposed like, this isn't fair, man. Like, I had all this weird stuff that I was going to try to do, and you're just like, one drop, two drop, three drop, four drop, you're dead. <laughs> you <know? laughs> it's just not fair. So if uh, you, your F&M is normally draft, isn't it, Marshall? Yeah, every, every time. Okay. So what are you looking to force early on? Um, I, you know, for me, I, you know, the, going back to, a, to BDM, you know, we, we had a show and, and we did a topic and we talked about this at the Pro Tour on the coverage as well. As, you know, him and I, he kind of came up with this theory, this idea, and we've kind of cultivated it. He calls it the, uh, the gardener versus the architect. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in short, it's, it's speaking to draft strategies and there's generally two approaches to it. You can be a gardener or you can be an architect. If you're an architect, you know what you want already. And you just need to uh, find the pieces to make it work. So when you open up a pack, you're like, well, I want to be blue-green, so I'm going to take the best blue-green card out of here unless something ridiculous happens. So that's one side. The other is the gardener, who kind of, you take the first few cards out of your packs, and those are like the seeds that are you're planting into the ground, and you're going to see if they grow. And if they do, then, then you get a nice, big, sweet, you know, flower out of the deal. If they don't, then you go in a different direction. You plant some more seeds, and you kind of organically flow with the draft, and let the cards come to you that will. And I tend to fall into the latter category. So I'm not going to look to force anything when I first play, but I do think that there is something to be gained from that. Uh, I think that for the most part, it's often correct to go with aggressive decks early. Uh, People aren't going to know. They're they're just not going to know yet, and they're going to be drafting weird stuff, and they're not going to know which cards are good or which cards are bad for which deck. And if you can just like if if I go to my F&M this week and you just said, Marsh, look, you're going to get 
a sweet Boros deck this draft. Are you happy or sad? I'm just like very happy. Like I expect people <laughs> to play really bad cards. They don't, you know, people that don't listen to the show haven't put any thought into it yet. And so they're going to be playing these just awful things that don't do anything until later in the format when they actually figure it out. And if you're just like attack you for six, you know, th- that often gets them. Also, you'll get people that are like, Hey, I'm going to play five colors because this is a, multi a gold set right and you're like yeah go for it buddy <laughs> and all their lands come to play tap and they can't cast anything and you're hitting them over and over and over so i, I think that's usually a, a good strategy if, if you want to try to force something going into the early set well are you drafting this week uh actually it's uh tomorrow well not tomorrow on friday it's a uh, sealed at the uh store that i'll most likely play at they have a <laughs> release sealed event yeah Sealed is still limited. <laughs> yeah, so so I'm getting closer, but no, it's just the like the price support there, even for going four one is, I think it was like thirteen packs, fourteen packs last time. Jeez, that's really so, good. I'll be right there. Well, <laughs> actually, you guys say that. There's one of my friends who uh, drafted in Ottawa, and he went EXO, so he won the. Uh, or sorry, he played in the pre-release, and he went EXO, so he won the pre-release. First place, it's very top loaded, was a hundred dollars and a hundred fifty-seven packs. <laughs> what? Uh, where insane. is this sweet heavenly? <laughs> like that, pretty much. Like you just deck. have everything, right? At that rate, they'd be crashing down the gates to play in that pre-release. <laughs> That's insane. See what I did there? That was terrible. Uh, th- that that is ridiculous. 157 packs. I mean, geez, I don't get that for judging a GP. But never mind that. Is he then also got a hundred dollars? You know, just, <laughs> just to add on. <laughs> Uh, just randomly. Yeah, yeah have some cash. That's pretty awesome. Uh, Travis, are you doing any drafting? I'm going to try to focus on Standard and Modern with uh, SCG Cincinnati coming up and uh, a couple PTQs close by. Where do you live, Travis? Uh, about 10 miles south of Cincinnati in Kentucky. Oh, nice. Yeah, but he's from Alabama, in case you couldn't tell. No, I'm from <laughs> Kentucky. I went to graduate school in Alabama. Oh, whatever. You and your must degree in being quiet or whatever it is. I'm trying to keep from bleeding from the mouth. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, random comment. No, I had, um, my, I had a molar pulled like five days ago, and they, my mouth was full of stitches, so I can't talk as much as usual. Well, I'm sure our listeners are thankful for that blessing. Uh, you've certainly added some teeth to the discussion, so we're happy to have you. They don't get any I'm better. Not I'm not this. <laughs> <laughs> you should feel bad for that one, Chris. <laughs> uh, yeah, quit your joy. Um, yeah, I'm, uh, there's a modern and draft at FNM this week, and I'm hoping I can do both. Uh, and I, I will be forcing Mill <laughs> because I want to. That's what you do. Well, it is what I do. I when I was in Montreal for that FNM, yeah, I drafted. You, you terrorize people. They they still have nightmares of it. It was Avacyn Restored Draft, and I had uh, three Dreadwaters and two Stern Mentors and two Galvanic Alchemists in the pool. Yeah. It's like, Dreadwaters you for ten. Dreadwaters you for ten more. GG. You're, a, that was, you're the worst. I am absolutely. That is awful. <laughs> but I was good at that deck, because I just drafted all the stalling, and I, would, I didn't ever stoop as low as playing Angel's Mercy. But, you know, I dropped all the Seraph of Dawns I could get my hands on and uh, that terrible Mist Raven thing. Oh, don't you even. (laughs) 
I like it how you say, I, but I was good at being bad. <laughs> I had four misreadings. That, that's your that. defense. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I couldn't have been that bad. I'd be, you know, good players. Well, a good player. Marshall, haven't you heard of the term lands dirtling? <laughs> no, I, no, I haven't. But <laughs> that that instantly clicks in my head. I know the meaning already. Already, I, I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. Oh, jeez, that'll be on the coverage. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> so you're coming up to Quebec City. I am. And you're doing the pro tour, obviously. I am. And I, I understand it's Jake Van Loonen with you in Quebec City. I have no idea. Is, oh, that's is, that, the fact is that true? Did he say that? It's on the fact sheet. Okay. Um, I don't know if that's actually true. So from what I know, what we're going to do is I'm coming in, into Montreal, and I'm uh, coming in early in the week, and I'm hanging out. We're taking some classes or something for coverage stuff. And then, uh, and then Friday... We're going to do the Pro Tour, Saturday, Sunday, the Pro Tour, and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, I'm going to be in Montreal just hanging out. I'm going to, there's, I'm told there's a casino there, so I can actually, you know, air quotes, work, and I'll there, be doing that. There, there is a casino. Yeah, I'm also told the rake. Anyway, we won't get into that, but I, I'm looking into doing that, and then, <laughs> but I'm going to be there, and then I'm going to be in Quebec City. We're, we're flying over there Friday, uh, Nate Price and I. And uh, we're going to meet up with Rashad. And I'm pretty sure, I, I think Rich Hagen is going to be with us as well. Well, he's on the list too. So maybe Jake's doing written coverage. That oh. is absolutely possible. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. They, it, it's interesting. I often don't know who I'm going to be in the booth with until like I get there. <laughs> Actually, I heard a rumor that uh, Chris Lansdell is in the booth with you. <laughs> that, that, that would be a rumor. <laughs> <laughs> that would that be a bald-faced lie. Yeah, that you that just is, started. <laughs> it's going to happen one day. I, I need to get in that booth. Well, I wish Actually, you, I wish you all the luck. It is uh, it is a fun gig to have. It's hard. It's challenging, but uh, but it is awesome. Well, I've got the I've got the podcasting experience. You know, I've done a couple. That definitely helps. <laughs> Marshall, I have a question. Do you ever watch coverage of other people doing it? Yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, like when uh, I'm home. Do you like backseat comment? Do I what? Do you like backseat commentate? Is there just um, no. going like, you're doing it wrong. How did you sure. miss that? <laughs> sort of. I mean, the, the thing is, you know, when you're in the booth a lot, you one of the one of the downsides to doing coverage and writing articles and doing podcasts and and Chris I you know you're you're really good at at this part you have a thick skin right it, it's you get a lot of criticism i mean everybody yeah. thinks that they're the best at at what you're doing right and it's like yet you know some minute percent of act of people actually put themselves out there like you guys do for this show and make something right and say look i'm doing this and here it is and everybody in the world, it feels like sometimes, thinks that they can do it better than you. Now, I know how hard these things are, and I know that they can't. But when, So when I'm sitting at home and I watch other people do it, yeah, I mean, I have those thoughts. Like, I'll be like, oh, they're kind of going off the track a little here, right? Like, I, I, I would like them to kind of come back to where they were. But I, I try not to be too critical because I know how hard it is to be in the booth. But I watch it. I mean, I watch Star City, and it's interesting because I'll watch the European GPs, but... This year, I'm actually doing every uh, every North American GP that we're covering. I'm in the booth. Oh, gee. Yeah, they they asked me to be like the, you know, like the anchor or the, you know, the whatever the the face, the main guy. And so when I'm there, it'll be me and an expert. That's kind of the the setup. And so I'm so I'm doing all of them. So if there's a GP that's being televised, I'm that I'm there. So I don't get to watch them anymore, which is kind of a bummer because I I kind of liked you know, 
waking up not in some other city in some <laughs> you know hotel room <laughs> oh, yeah. and firing up and, and watching you know Sheldon or Steve Saden or you know Rashad or whoever happened to be in the booth and uh, and watching them go you know because one of the things that you you notice for people that watch a lot of this stuff is that sure you see different quality right some people are better at it than others it's just true and uh, you know you, everybody knows or everybody has their opinion on who's good and who's bad and who's their favorite but one of the things that's really cool is that when you get a two-person combo in the booth, you get wildly different results based on who the people are paired with, you know. Sure. And I certainly can feel that when I'm in the booth, too, because there's some people that I get along really well with. We have a good chemistry. And there's other people where it's like I got to kind of work it a little bit more. My uh, my friend Mark is a big fan of yours, but he's also a huge Zach Hill fan, and he was really disappointed to see that Zach wasn't going to be in the booth with you in Quebec City. So, uh, yeah, that's a bummer. I, I I do love working with Zach. I'm I'm also a fan of Zach, and uh, you know he's he's a really interesting person. And uh, you know how I was saying, like some people I get along really well with in the booth. He's one of them. You know, like yeah. from day one, him and I uh, met at the Pro Tour to do coverage in uh, Avison Restored. We'd never done that kind of thing before on that, on that level. And we were in the booth together, <laughs> like yeah. both of us. And we just hit it off immediately. Yeah. That happens sometimes. I know um, when we had Brad Nelson on our cast, mm -hmm. it felt similar. Like we, none of us had ever met the guy before. At least I don't think so. And uh, he just instantly clicked in with all of us, had great chemistry. And yeah, he generally yeah. does that. You know, he, he's just a very laid back, funny guy. Like he's, I, I gotta say, like, if you don't get along with Brad, like, <laughs> it's not a problem because he's he's genuinely just a, a sweet guy. He is. He's a really nice guy. But then again, on the other side of the spectrum, not that he's not a nice guy, but we had Mike Flores on, and he fits really well with us too. But he's about as far away on the spectrum of personality from Brad as you can get, I think. Yeah, Mike's Mike's a he's a unique guy. He you know Mike's one of my favorite people in Magic, and it's funny because he's very controversial. I mean, a lot of people just don't like him. You know, and, yeah. I'll, and I'll often say, no, I really, really like Mike. And they'll be like, why? Like, you're a smart guy. Why do you like this guy? And it's funny because, you know, for me, he he inspires me in a lot of ways. You know, you know how I was just talking about how there's this percentage of people that actually put stuff out there. And it's it's small, right, compared to yeah. the people that, that do it. And he's one of them. I mean, this guy has been putting out content forever, and it's hard. Like, I'm writing this article now, and every week I sit down, and I grind this thing out, man. I'm just like, I don't want it to be dumb. I don't want to miss anything. I don't want to, you know, write it poorly. I want to make sure it's, like, enough content but not too much. And it's just like I'm pulling my hair out, and this dude just spits out columns, like, while he's eating breakfast, you know. He does, he writes books, which, you know, whether you like them or not, that's fine. Like, I, I, you know, I read or listened to a few of the chapters uh, of his his latest book, and it wasn't my thing. Like, it didn't click with me. I didn't get it. I'm just like, this isn't how I learn things, and that's fine, right? But the fact is, is that he took the time and the effort to actually put this thing out. That's really, really, really hard, and it requires a lot of work, and it's not like he's a guy that has a lot of free time, you know, and I respect that greatly. And uh, And plus, he's funny. I mean, if you ever meet him in real life, like, he's hilarious. He's like you kind of wind him up and just let him go. You know, yep. you, just, you just kind of watch the Mike Flores show. I, I, I met him, uh, or I bumped into him in um, at GP Atlantic city. And I'm just like, Mike. And he's like, Hey, you know, cause I've only met him a few times. And, uh, and we, we were just getting caught up real quick. And within like five seconds, <laughs> I got two things from Mike that you'll get pretty often. I got a, let me tell you something, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which he's a big fan of. And I also got a, of all time. 
You know, it was like he was playing some side event, and you know, he he played you know some card, and it was the 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 something of all time. You know, I mean, it's just like I like that. Like I I just yeah. I can appreciate that about the guy. And uh, you know, if you don't take him too seriously, like he's really likable. You just put the key in him and let him go. That's what we do when we have him on the show. Yeah. We just ask a question and let him go on a tangent. Yeah, I mean, that's but, what you're going to get with Mike. Like, if you don't want that, don't have him on your show. <laughs> through 67 episodes of this show, and God only knows how many guest appearances on other shows. It's actually not, more than 67, though. Okay, yeah. We, it's probably we, about we have had some episodes that have <laughs> disappeared, slash, I can think of one episode where we had a guest on that was just... Terrible. Right, right after Chris like calls me back on Skype, and he's just like, "No, we 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 can't put this out to the world." It was that bad. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was actually worse. God, I re- um, really want to know who it was now. <laughs> we can tell you that after we finish recording. Sweet, I'll, I'll, I'll tweet it once we're done. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just, just throw you guys right under the bus. Sucks. <laughs> but. Uh, Nobody has taught me as much about the game and about just life in general as Mike has. And, I mean, you said that his book wasn't the way you learn things wasn't for you. It helped me immensely. Yeah. So, I mean, I wrote a review about it. I uh, read your review. And, oh, thanks. Yeah. And, and I, I understood why people didn't like it, and I understood why people were, you know, giving him st- shtick for it. And that's because it's not for everyone. If you are not already a huge Mike Flores fan, you're going to hate that book. Yes. Even if you are a Mike Flores fan, you might not get anything out of it. Right. But like I said in the review, if you buy a Mike Flores product and you don't realize that it comes with a tacit disclaimer that says may contain excessive amounts of self-trumpeting, <laughs> then you're fooling yourself. That's right. And I mean, and, and, you know, there are people that don't know that and it's, it's a big turnoff for them, but eh, so be it, right? Like, what is he going to do? Change? I mean, that's one of the things that, you know, I certainly came to terms with very quickly was when it comes to being uh, getting getting feedback from from people that you don't know. Like I'm, I try to be one of the people that listens, right? Like I, even if it's crappy feedback, I'll still listen to it and just say, well, that's feedback I'm not going to take, right? But yeah. but I want to hear it, right? But I've gotten some feedback about people saying that you know, like I use some saying that they didn't like, and I'm just like, you know what? <laughs> This is where the line is, right? Like, I'm me. I'm bringing the way that I talk and the way that I do things, and that's what I have to do. If you don't like it, I'm sorry, right? Like, I just, I can't change that aspect of me, though, right? You you just, you have to learn that quickly. I remember having a chat with Rich Hagen before I even started doing coverage, and, you know, he gets a lot of criticism. He does. And I don't know, I, 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 I mean, I get some of it because it's just personal preference or whatever, but, like, I had him on my show, Unlimited Resources, because, like, I think he has a lot of really great things to say, and he often doesn't get a chance to say them because when he's on camera for the Pro Tour, he's kind of in Rich Hagen Pro Tour guy mode, and that's not how he is off camera. And I wanted to get him on the show, you know, to say, like, this is, this is the Rich I know, right? Like, he's, like, it's, actually a very good Magic player. He's yeah. extremely eloquent about Magic. He knows his stuff. He does the work. Like, he's not making it up. You know, he plays the part on TV, as they say, of, you know, being the guy who's asking the questions, who's setting up somebody else. But he almost does it so well that people don't think he knows anything, which is just completely false. Exactly. And this is what I've been trying to tell people around here. I'm a huge Rich Hagon fan, not just because of the whole British thing. I do a really good Rich Hagon impression, by the way. Um, 
but you'll, you'll notice I didn't it, follow up with anything. <laughs> it, it's just your normal voice. It doesn't count. Yeah, I thought that's what you were doing this whole time was your Rich Hagen impression. <laughs> well, actually, what, what I could do is, you know, I could talk about this new card. It's from the new set. It's from Dark Ascension, and it's one white, two colorless. It's Lingering Souls, and you've got four of those in your deck, haven't you? Um, okay, that wasn't bad. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't great, and it was completely unprompted, but it was pretty good. <laughs> The thing, I, uh, I've i had this theory about Rich, and uh, you might be able to back this up. His role is to be the guy that explains things to people that aren't watching Magic 24-7. Yeah, that's exactly who he is. And, you know, in a lot of ways, my role as well, right? Like, I've taken on the role of the guy who's come back to Magic. That's who I am, right? Like, yeah. I, I didn't play the whole way through. I came back about three and a half years ago around Zendikar. Well, it was actually Shadowmore Eventide when I first came back. And, you know, there's a huge gap of time that I didn't have. I didn't know what cubing was. I had never heard of EDH. Like, there's all these things that were new to me. Now, I've dived headfirst, and, and now I'm familiar with all this stuff. But I realize when you come back that you don't just know all this stuff, right? Exactly. He's the same one. He's even aiming for a broader audience, right? Like, the casual Magic fan that just shows up every once in a while. Like, what is this Pro Tour thing that somebody linked on something, right? And he's your ambassador for that. And those people love him. And it's so important that we connect with that market because the casual market is by far more profitable for Wizards and bigger than the competitive market. It's and like nine to one or something. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not it's even massive. close. Yeah. If you want that audience, if you want Magic Streaming to become anywhere near the level of StarCraft or League of Legends, you have to make it accessible to these people. Yeah, I mean... That's a different argument. I don't know. Maybe you caught, like, Cedric Phillips wrote a piece about it a while back on Star City, and that got prompted a huge community discussion about if we can get uh, magic commentary to that level. I don't personally think that we can. No, you can't get it to that level, but you can get it much better. Like, I think you can multiply the current audience by 10 with some improvements. Uh, that would put us at that level. level. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, the numbers that we see are in the tens of thousands. Right. And You're talking about concurrent viewers. I mean, I can't tell you the numbers that we have for other stuff, but, like, there's other numbers besides that. And we're doing really – I think the coverage is, like, exploding right now. It really is. Like, I think it's definitely yeah. on the upswing. But look at the changes that have been made. Like, the, the Pro Tour coverage, just since they started covering every day of it and not just the top eight, mm -hmm. has come along leaps and bounds. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and, and we, you know, there's people at Wizards that work very, very hard to make that happen. And I'm constantly sending in advice, and oh, not advice, but suggestions, and I'm sure I'm not alone in doing that. Sure. But I, I also wrote an article after Cedric did and Brad did. Those two guys, I personally think they both could have done with an invite to the Pro Tour. Cedric has top-aided GPs. He's missed top four. He revolutionized streaming and the way pro, pro Tour testing is done by doing it on stream. And the guy is a massive advocate for the game. And Brad was the original professional content producer for Magic. If you look at everything he does, he's actually not qualified for Pro Tour Gatecrash. No, I mean, I, I think you're overstating bo both of their roles personally. I mean, I don't think that Brad... It was the original content producer. I mean, Luis was doing videos before Brad was even, you know. No, no, no. Sure, but he's a professional content producer. I mean, like, that's that, all that's Luis was doing. I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I think that there was people that paved the way for, for Brad, and, and he certainly has a thing. And, and I don't know. I mean, 
I don't think Cedric would even want an invite in that way. Like he didn't earn it. He didn't win a PTQ and he didn't, you know, top four a GP or whatever. And I think that that's for him, like he wants to, he doesn't want an invite for those reasons. And I, I don't even know if he has, if he has earned it, you know? Well, I, I, I can hear what you're saying about he wouldn't want one. Yeah. I mean, but, revolutionized is a, is a strong word. And I mean, he streams a lot and I think that's cool. And I watch his stream. I enjoy it. I think he's really entertaining, but like, I don't know. He tested for a pro tour with, with, uh, Michael, Michael Jacob. Jacob. Yeah. On his stream. I don't, I don't know if that's really like a game changer. Well, he was one of the first to really maximize the sponsorship of streams and to turn it into a regular weekly occurrence on the same day every yeah, week. Yeah, and, and I think that, that he did, I think he, I, I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. And with Brad, like, his job at Star City is to provide content. He does the uh, the playtest videos, the above-the-curve thing that he does on a bi-weekly basis. Yeah. He commentates, he writes articles, he does his train wreck Tuesday. Uh, he's everywhere. He, he is a machine, there is no doubt. And those two guys are doing a lot to increase the profile of Magic in, in multimedia. And I think that's the sort of way that we need to go. Uh, you mean with the invites? Is that what you're talking about? No, no. In, in terms of just expanding the profile of Magic ah, on the internet, I see. Coverage, uh, like the way it's improved, and I'm not saying this just because we have you on the show, is amazing. In, in like, I'd say about the last year, you know, you've got the interviews now. The Pro Tour coverage is practically no downtime. There's interviews. There's deck text. There's you know chats in the booth and expert analysis and stuff like that. And that is like you can't do that for GPS because the manpower is just not there. That's right. Uh, I think what I what I really liked at the last Pro Tour was how, for the first round, they had all four of the new Hall of Famers in the coverage area. Mm-hmm. And I think I sent this advice in to, uh, to Helen and asked her to forward it on to the necessary people. Or was it Trick? I don't know. I, I'm always emailing somebody. <laughs> well, I just, I, I'm passionate about the game, in case you hadn't noticed. And I want to see it do the best it can. And if I think something I have to say could help, then I'm going to send it in. If, it, if they don't listen or it doesn't help, well, it cost me five minutes. Big deal. Yeah, no, I, 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 think, I respect that a lot. I think that's a great thing. One thing I'd really like to see is that you could do that sort of theme thing for, for more than one round. Like obviously, not every pro, pro Tour has a Hall of Fame induction. Say in Montreal you do, okay, this round we're going to have four local players on the coverage. Or we're going to have four PTQ winners who have never been to a Pro Tour. Or four Moto PTQ winners. Sure, I mean, the the question just becomes, like, do people care? Well, then, that's the other part. The biggest thing I think we need to do to improve Magic coverage, and this is something I've done a lot of thinking about, is get more people to buy into the players. People like Kibler and Finkel and LSV and Paolo have names established because of all they do outside of the actual coverage. Sure. They, they write articles. They're, they're big figures in the community. But if you look at the games, like look at Day9, for example. Sure. He's bigger than his game now. Okay. Uh, because his, his, he has this character that was created through all of the coverage that his game got. Magic doesn't really have anyone on that level yet. Kibler's probably the closest, maybe Finkel. But Kibler is there because of the, like, the charisma the kid has. Sure. Well, kid. I mean, he's pretty my age, but you know what I mean. Uh, not everybody has that charisma level. So, you know, sometimes you're going to find a great player who you can't do that with. But if you do interviews with, you know, say you take a couple of people who are at their first pro tour, you do an interview with them on the Thursday night, 
ask them how they who, how who they tested with, what their checking was like, how the experience has been with them so far. You check with them during the weekend, and then halfway through Saturday, you put them on the on coverage, and you've been building this person up all over the weekend. And now they're on stage, and people are saying, "Oh, that's that guy who's in his first pro tour." People root for the underdog. Sure. Yeah. No. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, highlighting players is certainly something that they want to do as much as they can. Yeah. And I think you know the the pros, the established pros already have their profile. You still need to in, to involve them to keep people's interest, but getting some of the newer players on the scene, like someone like Matt Costa, he top aided uh, Atlantic City and wasn't on camera once. Yeah, he kind of snuck in. Um, you know, that, that's just one of those unfortunate things. Like, because we love Matt Costa. I mean, that guy's awesome. Yeah. He is awesome, and he's a young, up and coming player. Was he nineteen? I'm not sure how old he is. I think he's older than that, but yeah, he's very young. I think he's twenty one or twenty two. But what was that, Travis? He's a whippersnapper. Well, yeah, and like Shahar Shenhaz, not in fact, has he even finished high school? Yet? Yeah, he did. He just finished high school last year. He's taken a year off in between high school and college to play Magic because he made platinum. Uh, it's a hard life. Yeah, that guy's a machine. He lives in Israel now. <laughs> oh, really? Mm-hmm. Was he going to be on the WMC team for Israel now? Uh, I guess so. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. That's gonna. I'm. Re- I'm really looking forward to seeing the way that tournament changes. By the way. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm sure you are getting ready for your cast, so we won't keep you too much longer, Marshall. Sure. Uh, we do have a couple of segments that we always do at the end of our show. Okay. Uh, the first one being the random moment of geekery. Actually, okay. I'll just interrupt you. I have a question, and goes for Chris and Marshall. I like one of the things for coverage is you say you know you want to improve it or say get it out to a wider audience, and then people compare it to League of Legends and StarCraft. But like the thing is, is that StarCraft and League of Legends is on a computer, right? So like right. I can pl- I can play League of Legends while also having the broadcast uh, the stream in behind me. So whenever I die or something, I can just alt tab away. Do you think Wizards could maybe look into something like say with some of their bigger stores, the retailers that they have, is to getting maybe like a TV or something like that, so that on the Sundays or the Saturdays when players are playing at these stores, then they can also have the streaming to go with it. I think that's like a great idea myself. I, I don't know how expensive that is logistically. No, but, like that I realize that is a fantastic idea. Because there's going to be a lot of the casual players, right, who aren't going to be watching, say, the stream. They're going to, you know, be playing either EDH or something else at their local stores on the weekends. And, like, that would be another way to get to that audience. No, I, I agree 100 I mean, you know, we set up at the Pro Tours – and sometimes at the GPs, they'll do this, too, if, if they happen to have the right uh, equipment on site. They'll set up an area where the stream that we're broadcasting is broadcasted onto, like, a TV with a seating area. And okay. this is for players that uh, are still on site uh, but are out of the tournament or whatever. And they and without fail, every single time, that area fills up. They did that for Toronto on a big had a projection screen. Yeah. That was awesome. Well, yeah, actually, right? and it's, like, sweet. Yeah, actually, you mentioned that, and we can kind of segue, because one of our sponsors on the show is Face-to-Face Games. Uh, Fast up, Yeah. <laughs> and actually, what they're doing for, uh, since the Pro Tours in Montreal, which is where they're located, they're doing uh, a Magic Weekend. So what's going to happen is they have a hotel, uh, well, like a room that's booked off. I think it's about two or three blocks from the Pro Tour venue. Okay. So they're going to have events on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and they're going to have big screens and TVs up so that they're going to have the coverage uh, from Wizards being streamed the entire weekend. Oh, that is great. So on uh, 
I don't have the schedule in front of me, but on Friday there's going to be uh, F&M. I think there's going to be Standard and uh, Modern. On uh, Saturday, which is day two of the Pro Tour, there's going to be a Team Trios event. So you're going to yeah. have Standard, Modern, and Legacy. So there, I know, like we've had them before in Montreal, and they're quite popular. But at the same time, you're going to be able, if there's people that drop out of the Pro Tour and you know want to swing by, uh, then you know the more the merrier. And then finally on uh, the Sunday, again they're going to have there's going to be a CMT tournament that's going on. I believe it's going to be Standard. But they're also going to have four professional play- magic players who are going to be there gunslinging. Well, oh, that is sweet. Well, at the same time, they're also going to have the uh, the streaming going on for the final uh, for the top eight. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. I'm sad I'm missing it, but I have to judge a CMT in Newfoundland on the same day. So, also, I don't know if you've heard about this, but on the Saturday, uh, there's karaoke. Oh man! <laughs> One thing magic players love is karaoke. So following up, uh, like there was the Mad Pride Party at GP Toronto, which was awesome. Now they I heard, got I heard good things. They got an even bigger room, and Saturday night it's going to be the karaoke party, led by Fasafas and Mad Deprived. That yeah, sounds it's awesome. Going to be awesome. And the GP Quebec City is just going to be a follow up. It's just going to be as awesome. I'm really looking forward to it. So. Having said that, Will, do you have a random moment of geekery for us? Uh, I actually do, I, uh, which is surprising. And we haven't mentioned it on the show yet, but uh, whenever I'm watching TV, I normally have an iPad in front of me, and I've been thinking it's kind of Soul Forge. Soul Forge? Yes. The, let, let's, it's the, uh, what is it, it's Cobblade Games now, I think they are? Or Stoneblade. Stoneblade, sorry. Uh, that it's Brian Kibler and uh, I want to say Jason Gary, but it's Justin, Justin Gary, Gary, yeah. Who's at, uh, uh, they put out the demo for it, and I've been playing that a ton, even though it's the same two decks back and forth. And some guy named Richard Garfield is working on it with him too, right? Yeah, but they, it's it's true. they said it wasn't very he wasn't very important, so <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the original announcement for it. But, uh, yeah, so I've been playing that a decent amount, and I realized the other day that I had actually. Uh, I hadn't actually mentioned that on the show. So you guys should check it out, the demo, which is free. You don't have to be one of the one of the backers from Kickstarter or the other ones. Uh, there's a free demo that you can try out. Unfortunately, it's not on Android yet, so I can't. No, it's it's only on iPad. Yeah, so. But, yeah, it does look like fun. I know uh, Revised Angel on Twitter has been uh, gushing over it. Speaking of gushing, Travis. <laughs> Yes, do you have a moment of geekery, Mr. Stitches in Gum? Uh, I do. I'm trying to get it to pull it up, the link to it, and send it to you. It's just a, um artist reproduction of uh, Winnie the Pooh, but from the point of view of Star Wars. Wait, what? <laughs> it's um, an artist rendition of Winnie the Pooh, but from the point of view of Star Wars. Like, instead of uh, Christopher Robin, it's Han Solo. Instead of Pooh Bear, you got Chewbacca. Again, I say... Wait, what? Interesting. Kubata? <laughs> oh, I see what you did there. Oh, yes, I saw this. I, I did not. I can't get it up. I'll send it to you afterwards, Chris. I'll send it the show in. Okay. I'm kind of morbidly curious now. Uh, yeah, there's a joke here somewhere about Eeyore, but I can't quite get it to come out. Oh, one of the AT-AT walkers is Eeyore. Oh, dear Lord, does a tail keep falling off? I don't. I don't even know. 
I don't even want to think about it. Morose. Trying too hard, Chris. So, for my moment of geekery, Marshall will let. I'm going normally last, but I know, I'll go now so that you have a chance to think of one. Um, I recently watched both seasons of Sherlock on Netflix, and all I can say is there had better be a season three because they can't leave it like that. Like, the show is incredible. If anybody has been watching Elementary, which I recommended a little while back, this is way better. Like each episode is about an hour and a half long. And it's just, it's just amazing. You know, the wife and I watched it over Christmas break. Is it not amazing? Yes, it is. It's very good. Like the, the leaps of logic that man makes and the stuff he notices is just, he would be the greatest magic player ever. It's, it's ridiculous. Like, he's just so observant and so smart. Oh, it's just amazing. Does that, I keep saying does that, that mean we should try to turn Finkel into a private detective? <laughs> you know... Finkel would be Finkel's greatest strength was his reading of players. So yeah, probably. Unlike Kai, who was just a machine. And Kai could be his Watson. There you go. I would I would love to see those guys go at it again at the Pro Tour. You imagine both of them making top eight and meeting. That'd be pretty. It'd be pretty epic if that happened. You'd you'd almost have to like Tonya Harding BDM just to get in the booth with Rich for that one, wouldn't you? Oh yeah, I mean, I'd love to be in the booth with either of those guys for that one, but uh, yeah, that, that's their territory. Yeah, the top eight is theirs, and I mean, they have they have just such innate chemistry between them. It's just yeah, they've they've been doing it for a long time, so it's almost effortless for them to uh, to play off each other like that. But yeah, that's uh, that would be a dream matchup for a top eight, and I think that could be uh, marketed like crazy if it ever happened. Oh yeah, that would be awesome. Uh, so do you have a moment of geekery there, Marshall? What does that mean? Basically something that you've done this week, not magic related, but that fits into what people call geek culture. Oh, um, I kind of concentrate my geeky stuff on magic, I think. But, I, oh, I did something. Yes, I did, in fact, do something. So this was, uh, I was in Las Vegas, and I was down there to play. And I woke up Monday, and I was sick. I had a cold. And this this was a, a week ago Monday. And, uh... I wasn't awful or anything, but I didn't feel like going and playing. I wouldn't have been 100%, and uh, also I didn't want to get everybody at the table sick. So I decided to uh, just hang out in the hotel room and play Magic Online and just rest. And uh, so in the evening, though, I got kind of bored. I got some food, and uh, I needed something just to, like, something to watch. I had my iPad with me. I had my laptop, too, but I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to sleep, but I want to watch something on my iPad, a movie or something, right? So I went on Netflix, and, and I was browsing around, and I found... Uh, Star Trek Voyager. Now, okay. yeah, so I, I, I watched uh, Star Trek Next Generation when I was a kid just, like, because I thought it was sweet or whatever, but, like, yeah. I never was really into it, and I don't really like old Star Trek, and I've never seen Deep Space Nine or whatever, so, like, not really my gig, but I thought, this looks easy, right? Like, I remember Star Trek being not challenging to watch, like, it was very easy to watch, and so I fired up Voyager, now I'm kind of hooked. I've watched like six episodes of it. <laughs> oh, jeez. Like, yeah, do I don't know that it's good, <laughs> but, but it's like it's, it's starting to become my default. Like I've been watching Lost, and that requires like I'm like actually into that. So like I'm watching it intently. And with Voyager, I'm not at all. So like it's just on in the background. Like I'll be drafting and playing it. But uh, yeah, kind of interested in that now. Yeah. Next generation was. Uh what I grew up with as well, and it was Saturday evening viewing after go after a day playing cricket. Yeah, wherever I grew up in England. <laughs> Are you serious? Man, cricket's awesome. 
After your People supper or tea food. or whatever you call it? Yes, crumpets, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jeez, a day of playing cricket. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, if you think baseball is bad... No, I, I've it, seen cricket, yeah. <laughs> I've seen like, the five-day marathon cricket matches or whatever. Oh, I never played those. The one-day ones are a lot easier to watch because they only last, like, you know, they're, they're the average duration of a doubleheader in baseball. And you consider that easy to watch, huh? Well, the problem I have with hand egg, or football as you uh, people call it, is that it's just like 30 seconds of action and five minutes of walking around. Like your sex life. Ooh. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you know, at least I still have one. Um, so, cricket, though, is... It's true. I, Wait, you mentioned football. Go Ravens. You can continue now. <laughs> what? Who are they? Shut up. <laughs> The, uh, the Star Trek Next Generation, I never got into Voyager, but what I've been watching a lot recently, I mean, apart from the Raptors being terrible, uh, is uh, a lot of food porn, basically, on the Food Network, like Iron Chef and Chopped. And uh, This is one of the reasons I really want to meet BDM, because I have a feeling we would uh, be able to talk about this for hours on end. Oh, he loves that stuff, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He'll talk to you about that for sure. Well, he's the only one I haven't podcasted with. It was you and him were the last two holdouts. Yeah, he's tough. He he generally sticks to to the. I mean, he's a. You, you got to realize how busy that guy is. Like he put me to shame. You know, he he's another guy that I admire a lot. Like Flores. You know, he he's one of those guys that's been doing it for a really long time and putting out high quality stuff over and over and over. And yeah, media. He's like my hero. Like <laughs> the guy is just. You know, he, he's he's good at everything I want to be good at. He's just fantastic guy to be around. He's hilarious. He doesn't pull any punches. You know, he's not one of those fake people that you have to, like, try to figure out what they're actually trying to say. Like, you know what he yeah. means. <laughs> he makes yeah, it very exactly. clear to you. And uh, and I, I really appreciate that because I I'm, consider myself like that, too. The other thing I really appreciated about him is that he will interact with anybody. Like, there are a lot of, I find a lot of the magic pros, if they don't know who you are, they're just not going to re- respond to you. Mm-hmm. And like BDM, I mean, he's always responded to me, and I mean, I'm nobody. So, oh, you've been well, doing your show for a while. You guys are what seventy plus shows deep now, if you count the ones that didn't actually make it. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, a long yeah, time, I, dude. Most shows don't make it to like five. So, <laughs> give, I guess, give yourself I mean, some credit there. A lot of that is is due. To, I mean, I'm me and Adina, who's not here tonight. She's working. Are the only two original ones left. I've I've put a lot of effort into this show. I know, and, and to finally see. Yeah, and you've revised it as well. You've changed the the things. You've, you know, one of the things that I think you're you're awesome at, Chris, is you you do you take you take advice. Like, you know how many people don't? <laughs> you know, they ask for it with no intention of actually taking it. Like, you've asked me for advice at, at various times, and I've taken time to give it to you. And then, like, I've seen you actually do it, and I'm just like, wow. Like, I know you're not just doing exactly what I say, but you actually listened. And then that, that goes a long way, I think, to getting responses, you know, when people actually listen to the things that you say. Because I can't tell you how many times I've had people ask me, and I tell them, and then they just completely ignore it. Even though they'll, like, agree, like, yes, this is a good idea. We should do that, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> well, I listen to people I respect. And I've I've respected you since the first day I heard you and you and Ryan on the show. Like you, yours was the first podcast I downloaded along with Top Eight and the A Team. And uh, you know, there's a combination. Yeah, those, those are some good shows right there. Well, the A Team is no, nowhere near what it used to be. I'll say that. But I kind of stopped listening to the A Team. Me too. Yeah, I used I used to listen every week, but then they kind of disappeared for a while. You know, they were doing some 
video thing or whatever, and then like they stopped showing up, and I found it, and then I just found that, it, ironically, ever since I quit my job, I've actually had less time for podcasts, and I haven't really kept up on them as much. Yeah, I I try not to listen to stuff that is just going to annoy me, and strong opinions, strongly presented, lose a lot of value. Oh, absolutely. See, 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 I enjoy it. I enjoy over-the-top, zealous people. Like, Mike Flores, love that guy. Yep. You enjoy it because they troll me. Oh, I... It's, it's, not just, it's not just you, though. Like, no, I'm, I'm in favor of, of any kind of trolling. It just... In, I don't know. I enjoy it. Okay, fair enough. Any podcast that has Scotty Mack and KYT. Yeah, Scotty is a great guy. Like, Scotty is probably my closest friend in the podcasting business. Yeah, like, he, he's awesome. I, I don't know that KYT actually podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> he, he like, I know he's on the mic. <laughs> I've been on their show. He's there somewhere. He just doesn't talk. He, it's funny. If you meet him in person, I, mean, I know you have met him in person, but when you when you talk to the guy, he's so different from his personality on the podcast, it's hilarious. Whereas Scotty is just Scotty. Yeah. I, I've never met Scotty. I'm looking forward to finally meeting him. I, I did meet KYT, and yeah, I mean, he's a sweetheart. Like, he's just a nice kid. Yeah. He is. Scotty would do anything for anyone he calls a friend. Uh, I get that I, vibe I got from him. Nothing but respect for the guy. I mean, he had never met me when I went up to Canadian Nationals a year and a half ago to get tested for level one. That's right. I threw, flew three and a half hours just to do a judge test. And uh, he basically invited me to stay in his house and, you know, where he has his wife and new kid. Never met me. Didn't know me from Adam. And I'm like, wow. You know, yeah, that's, that's a friend. He's a nice dude. So let's, uh, let's wrap this up with a couple of shout outs. Don't worry. We're not going to go for 20 minutes with him. Uh, Will, you got anybody you want to shout out? To Marshall. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was, he, uh, <laughs> it was, it was an absolute blast. Now you just need to convince BDM to come on, and, you know, we're all good. Now you're, you're on your own there. I, <laughs> BDM doesn't get convinced of anything. <laughs> you know, you, you have to do that yourself. <laughs> we, we need to get John back on as well. He was on, geez, episode 14. Was it that long ago? All you have to do is say, John, you're awesome. We think you're really cool, and he'll come on. Like, you just stroke his ego, like, in the most minor possible way, and he will just jump. Okay, <laughs> that's the well, secret. That, that's still more than it takes to get Chris on a, a podcast. <laughs> that's true. I actually said no to one. No, no time. way. Come on. I did. Nobody well, my say. my girlfriend was here, so. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Although that hasn't stopped me in the past. This is a different girlfriend. Come on. <laughs> the whole time he was fantasizing about that microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, you've been watching in my window again. <laughs> Travis, any shout-outs? Um, shout-outs to Marshall. Um, a, couple, uh, a couple weeks ago, I went to a book signing by Brandon Sanderson, and I tried to convince him to come on the show. Uh, he gave me a possible tentative maybe, but um, when I said, yeah, I'm, a, I'm from a magic podcast, we'd like to have you on, he said, oh, like Marshall? So he, he made me <laughs> Yeah, he he's awesome. He uh, he followed me on Twitter after I think we had BDM on, and because yeah. you know the the gardener and the architect thing, he actually got from from Brandon Sanderson because uh, yes. that's that's where the whole idea originated. They uh, went out to dinner and were talking about writing, and BDM kind of took that concept and applied it to to drafting. That was probably my favorite episode of yours, by the way. I thought that was great too. I mean, B BDM and I were in the booth when that conversation came up, and. 
and I, and I, and I was, he's like, we should do this on the show. I'm like, done, like done, done, <laughs> done, done, done. Like <laughs> it was just one of those yeah. things that like it clicked and there was an idea and it was just like, we are doing that. <laughs> but if we, if we could possibly get that guy on the show, oh man, I might just pass out. Yeah. We've had Finkel, we've had Chapin, but that, that would just be. In all amazing. fairness, you said the same thing about Marshall. Like, I remember, I, well, I we... You managed we to ha- remain conscious. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had time to recover. <laughs> no, but be, before we had Finkel on the show, like, he had... Chris has this list of people he wants on the cast, and, like, number one was Marshall, and, like, number two was Finkel. And then we were, like, getting Finkel, and he's like, yeah, I guess that's fine, but, like, we need to get Marshall on. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> well, the thing is, Finkel only came on because I had played Magic with him in England. Like I, I had actually met the guy before, so I had that in. But uh, yeah, that was that was something else. Poor old Jack. I thought he was gonna like lose his mind. Oh, Chewie said to say hi. By the way, Marshall. Yeah, I got to meet Chewie. I'm sorry. No, it was. Awesome. <laughs> he, dro- he drove me to Wendy's. <laughs> he's he's actually he's actually a person. I just see Chewie. He, like, he is. I, I actually saw Jack too. That that I don't believe. I think no, no, I did. I, at least somebody that was purported to be Jack and sounded exactly like him, which is really hard to do. So I'm pretty sure it was him. So Jack Lacroix is like the East Coast chupacabra. He doesn't really exist. I didn't think so either. I'm like, who's this weird dude standing over here? He's like, that's Jack. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was cool I to just, meet those guys. I just see Chewie as like this big cartoon floating head. I think that's what Chewie actually is. He's oh, that's from his, like, yeah, I know what picture you're talking about. No, he doesn't look like that. But he does have a car with a license plate that says Chewie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I walked up, I'm like, this must be yours. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jam. Um, he says that in real ha- life, too, by the way. I, uh, that does not. Yeah, that, that's a real thing. That is not <laughs> for the show. <laughs> I, I speak to him quite a lot outside of shows. We're, we're pretty good friends, uh, okay. and it's a shame that he lives all the way down there, because i really like to meet that guy. Okay, not, and Jack. It's not that he lives all the way down there. It's the fact that you live on an island. I do. I don't know if you're familiar with Canadian geography, Marshall, but... Yeah, if I, I, I know where further, you live. <laughs> yeah. You live, like, very, very, very far from me. I'm about as far away as possible as I could possibly be from you without falling off. Yeah, pretty close. Did you have anybody you wanted to, to send a shout-out to? No, I don't, I don't know. Like, what is this shout I don't like this shout-out thing. I know you I don't, don't understand why. this. Like, why am I... Um, I want to give a shout-out to you guys, because uh, this was fun, and, and I appreciate you guys uh, taking the time to have me on. And uh, I also want to give a shout-out to you specifically, Chris, for being patient with me, as uh, there was times when I expected to come on and wasn't able to, and uh, you were cool about it. Yeah, um, thanks a lot for that, man. And, like, literally... Anytime. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Just anytime you want to come on and talk about magic, let me know. I'll, I'll freaking get out of bed to punk. All right. <laughs> it's not a problem. Uh, I have a couple of people I want to give a quick shout out to. Uh, shout out to AJ, uh, Dark AJO on Twitter, who is possibly our longest standing fan. He's been listening since episode one and is always telling us thanks for this and thanks for that and sending me deck ideas. And, you know, it's really good to have fans who stick with you for that long. Uh, when I tried to explain to my to my new girlfriend that I actually had fans, uh, he was one of the examples that I used. So uh, it's it's really good to have that uh, that sort of loyalty in a fan, and uh, also to Josh Lamish who has started sending me deck lists. Well, <laughs> like what have you what have you wrought? <laughs> uh, this this is another guy who's a, a local Montreal player who. Um, 
who makes me look like Patrick Chapin when it comes to deck building. Whoa, calm down. <laughs> now, now, Chris, <laughs> is okay. growing? You might need to look in a mirror. Well, let's hope not. It couldn't get much bigger. Also, a shout-out to Arnold Palmer, because... Yeah! Uh, <laughs> those things are awesome. Agree. And we're going to have to... I'm going to have to buy you one in, uh, in, in Quebec City, Marshall. You got it. All right, so, on that note, let's wrap this baby up. So, for the Amsterdam Eater, for Will, for Travis, and for extra special guest Marshall, this is Chris saying join us again next time for another exciting episode of Horde of Notion. Hell Rider!